Hey, this is Kimberly Moore, CEO and co-founder of Go Together and the host of Intersections, this podcast, where we have conversations at the intersection of education, equity, mobility, and tech. And this week, we have Jason Allen joining us today to talk about equity in education, specifically about teacher pipelines. Obviously, we want to have classrooms that are diverse and equitable, but we also want to have the same thing for the teachers that students engage with. And so Jason has an interesting perspective on the teacher pipeline initiatives that could be taken to ensure that there's an equitable classroom. And I was really very interested in his perspective. Uh, we found him, he has done some work with Ed Lanta, E.D. Lanta, and he himself is a teacher and, and in grad school getting a master's in education. So this should be a lively conversation. He comes from a very different viewpoint and we love it. So grab something to drink, cup of coffee, and let's hear what Jason has to say. Thanks for listening. Well, welcome, Jason, to the uh, Intersections podcast, where we have conversations at the intersection of education, equity, mobility, and tech. We are so excited that we found you. Um, we were very intentional about looking for people who could add to the conversation about equity in education in particular, and we found you on Atlanta, and um, we're just excited that you uh, would want to come on and uh, share a little bit of your insights about specifically about um, your interest in male educators um, and getting them more involved into our uh, school system. So uh, with that, I'd love for you to share with everyone a little bit about yourself and particularly this focus that you have on Black male educators. Awesome. Well, again, Kimberly, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I'm excited to be a part of the podcast and the conversation this morning. Uh, Jason Brooks, uh, Burke Allen, excuse me. Um, I was recently married, so I'm, I'm changing over how I use the B for my middle initial to oh, add okay. it to my last name now. I am excited about the conversation concerning equity and the teacher pipeline. I, I had an opportunity to participate in the National Parent Union's uh, clapback session last evening where they had an amazing activist and educator, Dr. Dolores Torres. Uh, I hope I pronounced her last name correctly. I tried to add in a little of my uh, Spanish accent, but she made a great point about how we educate children. And there is one race, the human race, and there are many cultures. Uh, one race that derived from Africa and social studies classes do not teach this. So how do our children really learn how they evolve and become um, a part of this global society? And so that's why I'm excited uh, to utilize my gift of teaching to reach the minds of young people and families uh, to let them know that there is no separation. Uh, we are one human race and how do we 
start to accept the differences in our cultures and our ethnicities. And so those are totally different conversations that not enough schools uh, and communities are having. Yeah, you're right. Um, and I just have to pause for a second and say, what a background I'm looking at with these amazing <laughs> people who have done incredible things uh, for Black people and to just say that's a great way to wake up this morning and see that. So Well, they, you know, so many people mentioned my wall. I try to add, I actually just added Stacey Abrams. I'm going to move it up just a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I love it. Because I wanted her to have a frame. But yeah, just unique photos. Now, I come from a family of educators and entrepreneurs. And so a lot of these photos, as you see, some of them are um, original paintings and drawings of Dr. King, Malcolm X that, you know, advisors my father have uh, provided to me, the Black Wall Street Times, which initially or originally uh, was on Greenwood. And we saw just on Tuesday how one of the rioters from Tulsa, where Greenwood was burnt down and, you know, they know him as coming from a family that participated in burning down Greenwood, where the Black Wall Street Times stood. And so it's just ironic that I have a newspaper from the Black Wall Street Times that is now ran by a good friend of mine whose family uh, had businesses on Greenwood uh, back in the early 1900s. And to have someone whose family actually burnt it down, attack and terrorize the, the Capitol on this past Tuesday is just, such a wake-up call for us to say that, hey, we really need to break some of these generational curses uh, that are continuing to be passed down to our children. Yeah, yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Uh, we are not, we are nothing without uh, having a deep understanding of where we came from. And that, that's for everybody, right? Um, not just for people of color, um, but just for everyone. It, having the full understanding of our history is so important. So let's jump into this conversation about a teacher uh, pipeline and equity. Um, you know, when I went to school, I can count on my hand the number of male teachers that I had, and particularly the number of Black male teachers and Black female teachers and other teachers of other ethnicities. I mean, minuscule. And, and this is um, a while ago. So what has changed? You know, how would you characterize the state of educational e equity today? Well, I would say that there is still a need. You know, I've been doing a lot of research over the break and especially during the pandemic and, you know, just want to definitely send condolences and also, you know, well wishes to all families across mm -hmm. our world who are dealing with loved ones who have yeah. passed away and transitioned. Uh, but during this time, I've done a lot of research and, you know, Kimberly, one of the most interesting things that I have found is that we still refer to social work, counseling, uh, teachers, education, after school programs, outreach as pink collar jobs, uh, define pink collar as these are jobs that were designed for women. Oh. Let me put my pen down, drop in the mic. So if in 2021, when children are in schools that are training them for their careers. Mm -hmm. And now they're being taught what blue collar, what white collar means. Well, 
let's even be realistic about this. We don't even really teach our black and brown children or children that are of diverse ethnicities about white collar jobs. So we know that we're not even talking to them about the changes that need to happen in yellow collar jobs or and or gold collar jobs or pink collar jobs. And so when we think about the issues that we're seeing in criminal justice, homelessness, education, affordable housing, transportation, agriculture, these areas are connected to yellow, gold, or pink collar jobs where we're not even directing children of color, specifically males of color to these areas. Well, what are we seeing the impacts of? Gang activities, gang violence, teenage pregnancy, high school dropout rates, higher crime rates, higher illiteracy rates. And so we have to start reimagining education where we're bringing everyone to the table. And I even take it to the spiritual aspect in America. We also saw Tuesday that the Christian flag was being waved around during the riots. Well, the Bible also speaks to the fact that teaching is a gift. It didn't say that teaching is a gift for women. It said that teaching is a gift. And so when we look at different ways of being able to teach, uh, my father is an entrepreneur, but he has raised a family of educators, his wife, his children, uh, you know, his son-in-laws are educators. And so my father is not a traditional educator, but he runs a program in his business where he's training young black and brown men in our communities how to be entrepreneurs, how to be organized, how to be professional in a business. So even though he's showing them, you know, business techniques, he's also teaching. And so we have to reimagine what teaching is and how we're reaching people in order to recreate and, in my opinion, advance the teacher pipeline. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if you look back from, say, the 80s until now, um, what, what differences are you seeing in terms of the way teachers are recruited? Um, mm. Are there different areas that, uh, and different strategies to actually, uh, one, recruit men? And at the college level, and maybe even at the high school level, I'm not sure uh, where that happens, but what are some of the strategies and what have you seen that's really changed, that's really made an impact? Well, let me start here. I, I will shout out Debbie Allen. When we go back to the 80s and it was a different world that yeah. not only made college exciting, uh, but when it advanced and now Dwayne made being a professor, being a, a teacher popular, making being a teacher exciting. Yeah. And so it was the narrative that was recreated by us that made education exciting, that made it hip, that made it you know something that this is what you want to be a part of. And I haven't seen much change. Uh, I am currently getting my master's in special education and I am of course one of very few men um, but also even more, one of very few males of color that are in this area. My professors do not look like me. Uh, they may not be aware of the true dynamics that are happening in public, private, non-traditional schools where children with exceptionalities are not being reached. And so 
can there I be more done? Exceptionality for what does that mean? Yeah. So as a special education teacher, I I shy away from saying disabilities because, for example, I'm dual exceptional. I had to go and get braces about four or five years ago. Um, even though I had great teeth, I had one tooth scratching that story. I had to get retainers that, you know, lifelong retainers. And it caused me to have to go back through speech therapy because I had a speech impediment. And so where I was gifted and talented and I was in the advanced accelerated program, I also had some specific learning disabilities that I had to overcome at the same time. Well, why am I mentioning this? Because it's an exceptionality as opposed to a disability. And when a child hears disability, well, remember that we teach them what the prefixes mean. So now you are disabled. That means that you are not able to do what other children or other people can do. You are different because you cannot do these things. Something is wrong with you because you are disabled and you have a disability. And so one of the things that I have seen that has worked uh, in schools that I have served uh, and support, but also in children that I work with, exceptionality empowers them. Like you have an exceptionality because you learn, right. Because you learn okay, differently. I'm exceptional. <laughs> yeah, you're an exceptional learner. You learn differently and it's okay because everyone learns differently. Everyone is gonna have a challenge somewhere regardless of how easy the subject matter may come to them. There is always gonna be a challenge that arises and that does not mean that you are less than because you learn differently or you have a physical ailment that causes you to have to learn in a different manner and that's okay. And so I think that we have to begin to lay these things down but we don't have enough people, right? Who are training teachers to be able to say these things and connect to their students in that manner. And so, you know, I think that we have a long way to go in the words that we use to empower our children. And so I started it uh, with so many other educators that, you know, I've worked with. Instead of saying disability, we say exceptional. That is, I love that. I am, and didn't find this out until I was well into workforce I am an auditory learner and so I learn best by listening um, not necessarily by the visual and by writing so if someone had told me in college listen stop trying to take notes right now figure out how to record your teacher and go yes. back to your notes later I would have been a 4.0 student <laughs> but I didn't know no one ever I no one ever knew that that's what um, would help me be an exceptional learner because I am trying to learn from a place of uh, deficiency, really, because I'm not learning out of the place that I'm exceptional. And when I hear, I can take in, I can, I process, it's amazing. But um, I got really jammed up in a couple of classes because I was so focused on taking notes and trying to watch the board and it it's was, a lot it's a lot going on but Kimberly you make such a great point and this is why you also hear me talk a lot about reimagining education why is it 2021 and we are still using a system from the early 1900s I it, it doesn't make any sense the format of how children need to sit in a desk 
in roads, in classrooms, in buildings, uh, listening to a teacher talk to them. And even though we, we have advanced pedagogy, it still involves a teacher having to do a lot of talking and a lot of demonstrating and not allowing innovation uh, into the classroom, not allowing creativity. And so, you know, one of the things that I saw success with my students started passing standardized tests. Well, why is that? Because every child had an individual learning plan. And that's why I love one of the schools I'll shout out at Seven Pillars Career Academy. It is the state of Georgia's first non-suspension school for black and brown children. It's based on the principles of Kwanzaa. That's why it's called Seven Pillars, uh, founded by a black woman uh, who is actually uh, black and Latino. Uh, that's how she identifies. And you know, her name is Christina Ginn. And her vision was so amazing because it is a hybrid model. Um, our curriculum is online, but then we also meet with the children in person. I'm mentioning this because we need this innovation in schools. I was able to have small groups and reading groups and you know combined groups where I had gifted and talented students, but also students who were in the general population and exceptional learners. And I was able to do things that helped them work better together, to help them understand differences, uh, to help build tolerance. We don't have a lot of traditional public schools that are able to do that. So now imagine our workplace when you have someone who is an auditory learner, but you don't have someone who understands that. Because a lot of people don't even realize that your the way that you learn doesn't go away when you graduate 12th grade. Let me say that one more time. The way that you learn does That's not cool. go away when you graduate or when you complete the 12th grade or you complete yes. right. the P through 12 educational system it does not go away yes what is the workforce doing to meet the needs of learners right what is society doing to meet the needs of various learners and so this is why education is so important it's the passport to freedom because it opens the door everywhere not just in schools so for those who are listening who may say well i don't have a child and you know my children are done with school so i'm, I'm not invested or interested in that well you should be because education impacts how crime is reduced, right? Mm -hmm. it, it increases your wealth or your income. Yes. It increases the you know, probability of your community seeing better development because education is what opens the door for every field. So I just wanted to also you know, say that. Yeah, no, that's, that's really, that's awesome because uh, you know, as, tech entrepreneur and bring um, adding on new team members, uh, there's so much that goes into working that is, you know, beyond just the work itself. And so being able to communicate um, both verbally and in writing, um, there's just so much that as a student, that if you are not open and taught to be open to learning all the time, that once you graduate from high school, that is not the stopping of learning, that, right. that sort of a foundation that you get to learn more. Um, I think that it just is, it's, it's just awful that um, we don't have, it's not creative even this many, many, many years later. Um, you know, I did a little research before having our conversation to find out, you know, what the broader community is talking about in terms of teachers 
and the pipeline and some of the issues. And what jumped out immediately was um, I read a report from the National, um, I think it's called the National School Board Association, where the number of teacher preparation programs has decreased by 39%. Oh, yes. Well, you know, I have a very unique story that is also on Atlanta.org. Uh, uh, that I, I write for through the Brightbeam Network. And I challenged the state of Georgia last year, uh, which ultimately helped lead to uh, ending the Ed TPA program in Georgia because of the racial bias uh, within the testing, uh, the lack of cultural identity of those who are leading the programs uh, and identifying the drastic need for change. Uh, teachers that are in urban areas and uh, rural areas that are working with um, it, it, it's not a racial thing. It's more of a class thing. When you have parents that are working two or three jobs, it's going to be much harder for them to, you know, continue education at home. Uh, stability is going to be a little bit different because mom may be picking up uh, the kids after school. Dad may be picking them up in the morning. Dad may have lost his wife. And so now dad is a single parent that doesn't have any family near and is relying on neighbors to you know, help with after school care and, you know, help with Saturday programming for, you know, children. And so we have to think outside of the box when it comes to how we are reaching families and children. And so it brings me to organizations such as Profound Gentlemen uh, that is led by Jason Terrell, who is the executive director, was co-founded by uh, Mario Shaw. Uh, then it also leads me to the Center for Black Men, uh, not Black Male, but Center for Black Educators Development, led by one of my advisors, uh, Sharif El Meki. Uh, you have Good Teachers for Good Trouble, um, that was started by a brother here uh, in Atlanta, Alfred Chevy Brooks, who I work with, um, also in another organization, and so they're they're reaching people across the nation to lift up the issues around equity around training teachers, around uh, the need for cultural, culturally inclusive curriculum across the spectrum. Um, there's an organization, um, Gwinnett Educators for Equity and Justice. So you have teachers, whether they are current teachers, paraprofessionals, re uh, retired educators that are saying, we need to come together to make changes in not just what we're presenting to our children, but how we're presenting it to them. What are we using? How are we, you know, ensuring that representation is being brought to the table? Mm -hmm. And representation is important in education. Yeah, it is. Um, I, I, I also, um, you know, continuing on with this research that I did uh, and looking at some schools and states around the country that are trying to get it right. The numbers don't look great, um, and it looks like Texas actually is coming through as having made some significant um, uh, headway in diversity in the teaching uh, workforce. Uh, that since 2013, um, they've increased the number of men that are teaching by 18%. Um, they've increased the number of African-Americans by 67% and uh, the number of Asians by 22% yes. about your teacher pipeline has got to be a big part of it. Um, and 
you know, in the wide community of uh, teachers and, and do teacher unions play a part in any of what happens with your teacher pipeline? Teacher unions do play a role. A lot of times they are not for innovation. And so we have to think of unions as are they helping us or are they hindering us? Um, a lot of teacher unions also protect bad teachers, as we've seen in documentaries about New York and DC. Philadelphia. DC. Right, DC, and the list goes on of teachers that are protected by unions where they have disrespected Black children, disrespected you know children of different ethnicities, whether they're mixed or uh, single um, identified ethnicities. And so we have to look at the role that teacher unions play in the social, emotional, you know, blockage of learning techniques that could be provided to our teachers to perform better, but also to our children to help them uh, to be fully successful. So, you know, you have some organizations that, you know, are doing the work, you have others who are hindering the work, and that's just uh, the nature of the beast. Um, however, I do feel like in this point in time, we have to be willing to speak up against anyone who is not standing for equity, who is not standing for respect for all cultures and all people. And most importantly, for those who are not really wanting to advance and see change. You know, we'll never get to the Jetsons, uh, you know, state of living if we can't even get past the ABCs of advancing through the Flintstone stage. And that's just our reality. We are still in the Flintstone stage of education when we have not changed the way that we are imagining schools. And that starts with the teacher pipeline and curriculum. Yeah, curriculum is, is probably a fascinating and very complex conversation to have because um, whoever is in control of that curriculum um, is in control of how kids are educated and um, you know what they actually learn. And, and you know, I went to Africa um, about 10 years ago and thought to myself, gosh, it should be a requirement and, and built into the budget for every graduating senior to have to go outside of the US if it's Africa, that's your place of origin. If it's somewhere in South America, to your place of origin or, or some other uh, country so that you can see a world that is bigger than you. And that oh, you yeah. see that what you've been afforded as a young person in what is even not the best education system ever, but to see what you actually are afforded compared to other countries um, because education isn't free in Africa at all. Right, in the, it, it isn't free in a lot of places. Some places it, places it is free, excuse me. But I, I wanted to also say for those people who say, you know, what about the children who have never been outside of their city? Let's start an elementary school taking yeah. our children outside of the city, I was very shocked by that. Even in Atlanta, even in Douglasville, which is a suburb outside of Atlanta, you know, I was talking to the students there that I was teaching, and I was like, you know, have you guys heard of the AUC? And they didn't even know that Morehouse, Morris Brown, Spelman, Clark Atlanta, 
um, ITC were right in their backyards. Wow. They didn't even know that these historically black college, colleges and universities existed. And so these are children that are, are local. They don't even know what's near them. So starting in the elementary level, you know, taking them, so many of our children who are in Title I schools or low performing schools or, you know, alternative schools, whatever name we want to give them, they have not had the exposure or the experiences yeah. that come with a sound curriculum and a diversified teacher pipeline. Uh, you made a good point earlier about having, you know, an Asian teacher. I had my first white teacher in middle school um, who was a tremendous help. I had my first black male teacher at fourth grade uh, who, who was very instrumental in, you know, a lot of the things culture-wise that I have added into uh, the, my style of teaching. Um, but I didn't have my first Asian teacher until I reached high school. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Black children also need to see diversity yes. as well. Not, we yes. have to get out of the mind that, okay, let's just give all the Black children Black teachers. And now we're not looking at, you know, are you prepared to be in the classroom? Is, your, is this your gift? Is this your passion? Are you in the right area? And so we just throw teachers into schools that are, predominantly black and brown and not thinking about being culturally inclusive, ensuring that they have a well-rounded experience because that is what's needed. Definitely have a lot of work to do. And I think these conversations and highlighting what's wrong uh, specifically allows us to better develop pipelines for how teachers are being prepared as well as how curriculums are being prepared to serve teachers and our students.